0: Welcome to the Semper Reformative Podcast. Spreading the word and contending for the faith. Now today, for a few moments, we're going to think about Paul. We've seen him in Athens preaching to the heathens, the pagans. And the text here suggests that we might look at Paul and think about his personal circumstances and do an assessment of his Christian work so far. Back in the late 1990s I had a phone call. I was a member of a denomination then and it was a centrally governed kind of a denomination. And I got a phone call from the supervisory minister letting me know that I was to attend for an annual assessment. I'd never heard of such a thing. And I says, what's it about? Well, he says, I'm going to talk over your personal progress and achievements, or lack thereof, and I want to help you to set out your goals and priorities for the year to come. So I said, no. Catch yourself on. But he pestered me and pestered me. And he told me this was now church policy and it had to be done. So after months of persuasion by him and procrastination by me, I finally reluctantly agreed. And I went to see this senior minister. I actually thought it went really well. Although he never invited me back. I was never asked to do a second one. I don't understand why. But tonight we're going to do one of those on Paul. We're going to look at Paul from a human level. And then we're going to see how, despite all the human problems that surrounds him, God is going to intervene to meet his every need. And if you take one thing, away from this service this evening it is this no matter how distressing or how uncomfortable or how insoluble your human problems may be in this life the god who cared for paul cares for you so let's look at paul's personal situation so geographically, Paul in Acts chapter 18, Paul's in Corinth. So if you've read the, the notes that I gave you earlier and listened to the sermon on the, on the C D or on the podcast about the kind of place Corinth was, you will know that it would be a great vexation to the soul to be there in Corinth. Paul has been in Athens. Athens was Full of idolatry, wasn't it? There was idols on every street corner. It was the home of idolatry. False religion. Dead religion. Corinth is a vibrant city. Corinth is a city that is full of immorality. It's the place, it's the go-to place for people taking package tours... Uh, in the ancient world. If you want to go to the Ibiza of the first century, you went to Corinth. It was a place of licentiousness and lewdness. And Paul's there in the middle of it. And I want you to see what it would be like to be there. The first thing I want you to notice is that there will be opposition for Paul. Paul will be opposed. Always Paul's strategy where there is a synagogue is to go to that synagogue congregation and tell them that the Messiah whom they were expecting, who was spoken about in the Old Testament, has come. That that Messiah is Jesus and that brings him great opposition from the Jews. Look at them for a moment here. Look at verse 6. They oppose themselves. This is a kind of a, a concerted campaign to oppose Paul. They oppose themselves. It's a strange phrase. It implies an organized, concerted resistance. And it involves blasphemy. Now, if you look at verse 6, it says, And when they oppose themselves and blaspheme Deliberately blaspheming in order to oppose the gospel. It's bad enough in modern society when the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is used as blasphemy on the lips of our neighbours. I find that really offensive. I find the OMG expression really really offensive the fact that it's used in advertisements and all sorts of common speech it's used in social media it's so offensive but they weren't doing it that way most of the people who do that are just being foolish but these people were doing it deliberately in order to provoke Paul. It was a concerted campaign involving blasphemy. Matthew Henry here writes, they could not argue against Paul. But what was wanting in reason, they made up foreign language. The kind of people who can't express what they want to say, so they just use foul language. I suppose nowadays they'd be the modern equivalent of what you call the Twitterattie. The people who haven't an argument to make, so they just swear at you. You see them on Twitter. You read about them on Twitter. Matthew Henry says they blasphemed. They spoke reproachfully of Christ, and in speaking reproachfully of Him, speak, spoke of God Himself. To justify their lack of faith, they blasphemed broke out into downright blasphemy and Paul's response is the right one in verse 6 it says that when they opposed themselves and blasphemed he shook his raiment and said unto them your blood be upon your own heads I am clean from henceforth I will go on to the Gentiles Paul has discharged his responsibility he preaches to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles Done his duty. He declares unto them their fate. Their blood is upon their own heads. They have no one to blame but themselves. There is nobody that will stand before God on Judgment Day and be able to legitimately blame someone else. As Ezekiel said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Opposition. Paul's first assessment, our first assessment of Paul, is that he's facing opposition. And he's facing rejection. Uh, In chapter 18 and verse 1, we read, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Paul's preached at Athens. His last stop, we looked at it over the past three weeks, and it was a masterly sermon, wasn't it? Even in its condensed version given by Luke, we might say that only Paul could have preached a sermon so profoundly deep with such beautiful logic, with a direct appeal to the souls of men to repent of their sins, calling on all men everywhere to repent and trust the Saviour. But the Athenians did not repent apart from a very small handful of souls. Most of those great learned philosophers, they just laughed or they procrastinated or they walked carelessly away. The city of Athens, that great learned seat of knowledge, preferred to remain in ignorance. They brushed aside the salvation that they could have had in Christ and how that must have hurt Paul. Not hurt his feelings he wouldn't have been hurt because he hadn't got a fair hearing. Paul was no snowflake but it must have wounded his soul that people who heard the gospel so blatantly rejected it were so careless about eternity what about us? Even today, there are people who hear the gospel and who go away careless about what eternity holds. Opposition, rejection, loneliness. Paul had been all on his own in Athens. Now he's alone in Corinth too not alone in the sense of companionship. As we previously saw on that CD, he has found companionship with Aquila and Priscilla, but he's alone in the work. Hitherto, he's had companions. and Not everyone can cope well with working alone. And loneliness, I tell you today, in Christian ministry, loneliness is a huge problem, even in large churches. Maybe especially in large churches. A good friend of mine was the pastor of a church. And he often confided to me in the quietness of his house that he was lonely. Not because there weren't people around him. Plenty of people went to that church. It was a fairly substantial church. He was lonely because he felt there was no one to help everybody was busy everybody was busy rearing their families or running their business but in the church they never had time for anything And their attitude was, well, you know, that's why we employ a pastor. The deacons and the the elders would have their meeting, and they would sit and they'd make their decisions, and then they would order the pastor to make sure that those decisions were carried out, and he felt lonely. And sometimes that sense of loneliness became a burden that was too heavy for him to bear. And eventually, he resigned from the church and resigned from ministry and went into ordinary everyday employment. And that was a dreadful loss of a faithful, godly man in Christ's church. Paul now has Aquila and Priscilla. And he's in the middle of a big, busy city, but alone in doing the Lord's work. And that's never a good thing. And I think that's why when the Lord Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out twos, two by two. He's facing opposition. He's facing rejection. He's facing loneliness. He's facing poverty, poverty impoverishment. Paul came to Corinth alone and with nothing. No money. Nowhere to live. He seems just to have walked into town one day. He's never been here before. He knows nobody. He, As we discovered in our introduction to Corinth, he found a job with two Christians they were also of Jewish extraction, Aquila and Priscilla, because they were of the same craft. They were tent makers. And that would be long days of work. And Paul determined not to be a burden on anyone. But you see, when you're sewing fabric, you're not teaching. Paul's mission was to teach. Opposition, rejection, Loneliness, impoverishment, apprehension. Wonder what's going to happen to me here. Think about that. Think about Paul's missionary efforts so far. On his first missionary journey, he's been hounded from town to town by angry Jews, following him, determined to stop him from preaching. He's been beaten and stoned and left for dead. One of his close companions has deserted him. On his second missionary journey, again, he's been subjected to threats and abuse. He's been stripped and humiliated and beaten and imprisoned. He's had to be smuggled out of a town by sea. At Athens, he's been laughed at and derided. And now he's in Corinth and he's bound to be wondering, what lies ahead for me here? Will the Jews try to have me beaten to death again here? Will they have me thrown into a prison again here? Will they finally succeed and have me martyred, executed Why wouldn't he be worried? Who wouldn't? Wouldn't it just be easier just to give up and go home? Just like Mark had done all those years before. After all, he had a nice home church, you know, at Antioch. Lots of good friends. They're a really active church. Missionary-minded church. Church. A church that gave sacrificially to the Lord's work. A church that supported missions all around the globe. A church where one could retire with some comfort and a man of Paul's ability. Sure, he could occupy his time writing books. He could become a Christian author and get a publishing contract. He could be a deputation secretary with all his missionary experience. Why put himself through all this hassle? So if we look over Paul's circumstances in Corinth, there's opposition, there's rejection, there's loneliness, there's poverty, there's apprehension. That was my assessment. I think I wouldn't be too long around, but then we have to look at the other side of the coin. Because along with Paul's personal situation, we do have God's providential succour. Paul didn't go on a self-help course. I don't know when I went to see that man that day what he was expecting, that ministerial supervisor who I had to explain my objectives to. Was he going to ask me to go and do a time management course or become more assertive or look for some kind of inner strength. Paul didn't do any of those things. He simply had faith and God supplied all of his needs. In fact, later on, he would write to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4 and 19, and he would say, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what circumstances Paul finds himself in. The opposition, the rejection, the loneliness, the impoverishment, the cares about what's going to happen there— none of that would matter. In fact, Paul would later on say that everything in this life, not this life, could offer him, he counted it but dumb that he might win the prize of serving the Lord. Let's see how God helped him. First of all, he sent more laborers into the vineyard. Chapter 18 and verse 5. And when, they, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Do you remember Timothy and Silas had been in Macedonia when Paul left Berea to travel to Athens in Acts chapter 17? And now they too have joined Paul in Corinth. And that brought him encouragement. As soon as he came, as soon as they came, there was encouragement for him. He was They found him pressed in his spirit. There was this responsibility. He was joined by enthusiastic men. And together they were able to go to the synagogue. And they were able to proclaim the gospel. There's a group of enthusiastic serving Christians who could meet together and could encourage each other. And you see, friends, that's why we need the church and that's why we need fellowship. God never ordained for Christians to be solitary religious hermits or monks. God does not want his people, to use a modern phrase, To practice social isolation or social distancing from one another. If you're a Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ. You're part of a family. You're in fellowship with other believers. That's why the church suffered very greatly when the churches were ordered to close and fellowship was so badly restricted. Because watching a service on Zoom is absolutely no substitute for the fellowship of the Lord's people. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's encouragement for Paul. And there's a small group of men, Paul and Timothy and Silas and Aquila and Priscilla, and a woman, and there's five of them. And that's enough to be a church. Remember that Jesus promised that he would be with us when we meet in his name. No matter how small a number we might be. There's this little group. And they're an encouragement to one another. God answered Paul's situation by sending more laborers into the vineyard. And then he answered Paul's situations By providing financially. Timothy and Silas just didn't bring great help and companionship. They brought financial aid for the mission. It seems that the churches up in Macedonia were now so well established that when they had heard of Paul's lonely endeavours in Greece, they gathered together an offering to assist with the Lord's work. That's what we were reading about in 2nd Corinthians. If you look at verse 5 in the book of Acts, it says Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. In 2nd Corinthians, it tells us in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, when I was present with you and wanted. This is his poverty. I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia... That Silas and Timotheus supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will keep myself. He provided financially for them. The Lord put it into the hearts of the brethren in the churches of Macedonia to financially support the mission in Greece. Thirdly, he encouraged Paul by giving him fruit for his labors. Verse 7. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God. So wait now, the five have become six, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. It's right next door to the synagogue. And right now Paul's got a preaching place outside the synagogue door. And look what happens next in verse here. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, the top man among the Jews in the town of Corinth, believed on the Lord with all his house. There's the church growing again. And then many of the Corinthians hearing believed. And there's the church growing again. So the five grows and becomes six and then a whole house joins and then others come and join and God has blessed Paul's ministry and souls are saved. What an encouragement when souls are one for the Lord. Fourthly, he encouraged Paul through his word. Verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul. Now I know that in those days, it was the days before the completion of the canon of Scripture. It was apostolic days when God spoke directly to his apostles. But as we know, there are no apostles nowadays. But God still speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word and he speaks directly to us through the scriptures. God continually encourages us through speaking through reading his word. If you want to hear God speaking to you personally open your Bible and read it. Somebody once said if you want to hear God speaking in an audible voice read it out loud. Read your Bible out loud. God speaks through his word. It encourages us of course what does god say to paul whenever he speaks to him in verse 9 he says be not afraid but speak and hold not thy peace for i am with thee a marvelous promise encouragement don't be afraid God uses phrases like that over and over again when he speaks to his people. And linked with that are the other promises. Don't be silent. Speak out. Be bold. Know God's continual presence. For I am with thee. And the Lord is watching over Paul. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee. And God willing next week will see that promise fulfilled. And then... He reminded Paul that the Lord's church is more than what we can see. I used to take this as great encouragement back a few years ago in the other place, the Sunday morning place, when I was standing preaching to two people. And it used to encourage me greatly that we are not just two or three people sitting in a big old building, but that we are part of the church and the Lord knows who are his. So look at this. Verse 10. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. How could that be? How could the Lord have much people in that city? Whenever there's only Paul and that little group of believers. Well, you see, the Lord knows who is His. Up to this point, there's only the five original believers added to by those who have been saved and baptized and are meeting in the house of Christmas. But where's all the rest that God has? Well, here's the clue. And I want you, before I finish, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans to a familiar passage, to Romans chapter 8. And we'll see how the Lord knows that he has his people in that city. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Here it is. Here's the explanation of, for high God knows he has people in that city. For whom he did foreknow. You see that? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, then he them he also glorified. Do you see that staircase? God knew there were people in that land. God knew there were people in that city because he'd already chosen them. He was going to call them by his grace. They were going to come because God's grace, of course, as we know, is a factual. The effectual call of God upon the sinner is that when God calls, the sinner comes, and he justifies them, and he brings them into his kingdom. Of course, he knew that he had many people in that city. There were many of God's elect already in Corinth, And in God's own time, they will hear the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will convict them of their sins and bring them to saving faith in Christ. And soon the Corinthian church, which is now just a tiny group of people, will grow, become one of the major churches in the kingdom of God. Paul stayed at Corinth for about 18 months. It was his first long-term mission station. Up to this, as you know, he's been moving around on an itinerary. But while at Corinth he preaches and he teaches, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he writes his first letter to the Thessalonians, And one commentator remarked that Paul's stay in Corinth was a turning point in his ministry that influenced everything that he would do from that point on. And we'll see what we mean by that, God willing, next Lord's Day evening.